0: CHAPTER Twenty-Eight OF THE GIRL IN THE GOLDEN ATOM BY RAY CUMMINGS THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. THE ATTACK ON THE PALACE Oteo led the two men swiftly through the city, toward Rio's house. There were few pedestrians about, and no one seemed particularly to notice them. Yet somehow the big business man thought there hung about the city an ominous air of unrest. Perhaps it was the abnormal quiet, the solemn, sinister look of deserted streets, or perhaps it was an occasional face peering at them from a window, or a figure lurking in a doorway, disappearing at their approach. The big business man found his heart beating fast. He suddenly felt very much alone. The realization came to him that he was in a strange world surrounded by beings of another race, most of whom he knew now hated and feared him and those who had come with him. Then his thoughts took another turn. He looked up at the brilliant galaxy of stars overhead, new unexplored worlds, thousands, millions of them, in one tiny little atom of a woman's wedding ring. Then he thought of his friend, the banker. Perhaps the ring had not been moved from its place in the clubroom, then he looked at the sky again, then Broadway, only thirty feet away from him, this moment he smiled a little at this conception and drew a long breath, awed by his thoughts. Oteo was plucking at his sleeve and pointing across the street, stood Rio's house. The doctor knocked upon its partially open front door, and receiving no answer, they entered silently with a dread sense of impending evil hanging over them. The doctor led the way into the old man's study at the threshold. He stopped, shocked into immobility upon the floor with the knife still in it, lay Rio's body. The doctor made a hasty examination although the presence of the knife, obviously, made it unnecessary. A hurried search of the house convinced them that Ora and the very young man were not there. The two men, confused by this double disaster, were at a loss to know what to do. "'They've got him,' said the big businessman with conviction, and the girl, too, probably. "'He must have come back just as they were killing Rio.' there wasn't much time the doctor said he was back here in ten minutes but they've got him you're right or he would have been back with us before this they'll take him and the girl to orlog they won't hurt them because they-the big business man stopped abruptly his face went white good god frank do you realize they've got the drugs now targo had the drugs the big business man shuddered with fear at the thought. Their situation would be desperate indeed, if that were so. The doctor reasoned it out more calmly. "'I hadn't thought of that,' he said slowly. "'And it makes me think, perhaps, they have not captured Jack. If they had the drugs, they would lose no time in using them. They haven't used them yet, that's evident.' The big business man was about to reply when there came a shouting from the street outside, and the sound of many feet rushing past the house. They hurried to the door, a mob swept by, a mob of nearly a thousand persons. Most of them were men. Some were armed with swords, others brandished huge stones or lengths of beaten gold implements, perhaps with which they had been working, and which now they held as weapons. The mob ran swiftly, with vainglorious shouts from its leaders. It turned a corner nearby and disappeared. From every house now people appeared, and soon the streets were full of scurrying pedestrians. Most of them followed the direction taken by the mob. The listeners in the doorway could hear now from far away the sounds of shouts and cheering. And from all around them came the buzz and hum of busy streets. The city was thoroughly awake, alert, and expectant. The big businessman flung the door wide. I'm going to follow that crowd, see what's going on. We can't stay here in the midst of this. The doctor and Oteo followed him out into the street, and they mingled with the hastening crowd. In their excitement, they walked freely among the people no one appeared to notice them for the crowd was as excited as they hurrying along heedless of its immediate surroundings as they advanced the street became more congested down another street they saw fighting going on a weaponless crowd swaying and struggling aimlessly a number of armed men charged this crowd men who by their breastplates and swords the big businessman recognized as the police. The crowd ceased struggling and dispersed, only to gather again in another place. The city was in a turmoil of excitement, without apparent reason or definite object. Yet there was a steady tide in the direction the first armed mob had gone, and with that tide went the big businessman and his two companions. After a time... They came to an open park beyond which, on a prominence with the lake behind, stood a large building that the chemist had already pointed out to them as the King's Palace. Oteo led them swiftly into a side street to avoid the dense crowd around the park. Making a slight detour, they came back to it again, much nearer the palace now, and approached from behind a house that fronted the open space near the palace. Friend of the master, his house, Oteo explained, as he knocked peremptorily at a side door. They waited a moment, but no one came. Oteo pushed the door and led them within. The house was deserted, and following Oteo, they went to the roof. Here they could see perfectly what was going on around the palace and in the park below them. This park was nearly triangular in shape, A thousand feet, possibly, on each side. At the base of the triangle, on a bluff with the lake behind it, stood the palace, its main entrance, two huge golden doors, stood at the top of a broad flight of stone steps. On these steps a fight was in progress. A mob surged up them, repulsed at the top, by a score or more of men, armed with swords, who were defending the doorway. The square was thronged with people watching the palace steps and shouting almost continuously. The fight before the palace evidently had been in progress for some time. Many dead were lying in the doorway and on the steps below it. The few defenders had so far resisted successfully against tremendous odds for the invaders, pressed upward by those behind, could not retreat and were being killed at the top from lack of space in which to fight. "'Look there!' cried the big business man suddenly. Coming down a cross street, marching in orderly array, with its commander in front, was a company of soldier police. It came to a halt almost directly beneath the watchers on the rooftops, and its leader, brandishing his sword after a moment of hesitation, ordered his men to charge the crowd. They did not move at the order but stood sullenly in their places. Again he ordered them forward, and, as they refused to obey, made a threatening move towards them. In a sudden frenzy, those nearest leaped upon him, and in an instant he lay dead upon the ground, with a a half-dozen swords run through his body. The men stood in formation still, apathetically watching the events that were going on around them. Meanwhile, the fight on the palace steps raged more furiously than ever. The defenders were reduced now to a mere handful. A moment more, they'll be in, said the doctor breathlessly. Hardly had he spoken when, with a sudden, irresistible rush, the last of the guards were swept away and the invaders surged through the doorway into the palace. A great cry went up from the crowd in the park as the palace was taken, A cry of applause mingled with awe, for they were a little frightened at what they were seeing. Perhaps a hundred people crowded through the doorway into the palace. The others stood outside, on the steps and on the terrace below, waiting. Hardly more than five minutes went by when a man appeared on the palace roof. He advanced to the parapet, with several others standing respectfully behind him. Targo muttered Oteo. It was Targo, Targo triumphantly standing, with uplifted arms, before the people he was to rule. When the din that was raised at his appearance had subsided a little, he spoke one short sentence, and then he paused. There was a moment of indecision in the crowd before it broke into tumultuous cheers. The king he killed, Ateo said softly, looking at his master's friends with big, frightened eyes. The big businessman stared out over the waving, cheering throng with the huge, dominant, triumphant figure of Targo above and muttered to himself, The King is dead. Long live the King. When he could make himself heard, Targo spoke again. The doctor and the big businessman were leaning over the parapet watching the scene, when suddenly a stone flew up from the crowd beneath and struck the railing within a few feet of where they were standing. They glanced down in surprise and realized, from the faces that were upturned, that they were recognized. A murmur ran over the crowd directly below, and then someone raised a shout. Four words, it seemed to be, repeated over and over. Gradually, the shout spread. Death to the giants. The big businessman knew it was. Death to the giants. Until the whole mass of people were calling it rhythmically drowning out targo's voice completely a thousand faces now stared up at the men on the rooftop and a rain of stones began falling around them the doctor clutched his friend by the arm and pulled him back from the parapet they know us good god don't you see he said tensely come on we must get out of this there'll be trouble he started across the roof towards the opening that led down into the house. The big business man jerked himself free from the grasp that held him. ''I do see,'' he cried a little wildly, ''I do see we've been damned fools. There'll be trouble, you're right. There will be trouble, but it won't be ours. I'm through, through with this miserable little atom and its swarm of insects.'' He gripped the doctor by both shoulders. "'My God, Frank, can't you understand? "'We're men, you and I, men. "'These creatures,' he waved his arm back towards the city. "'Nothing but insects, infinitesimal, "'smaller than the smallest thing we ever dreamed of. "'And we take them seriously. "'Don't you understand? Seriously. "'God, man, that's funny, not tragic.' "'He fumbled at the neck of his robe, "'and tearing it away, brought out a vial of the drugs.' "'Here!' he exclaimed, and offered one of the pellets. "'Not too much,' warned the doctor vehemently. "'Only touch it to your tongue.' Oteo, with pleading eyes, watched them taking the drug, and the doctor handed him a pellet, showing him how to take it. As they stood together upon the rooftop, clinging to one another, the city dwindled away rapidly beneath them. By the time the drug had ceased to act, There was hardly room for them to stand on the roof, and the house, had it not been built solidly of stone, would have been crushed under their weight. At first they felt a little dizzy, as though they were hanging in midair or were in a balloon looking down at the city. Then gradually they seemed to be of normal size again, balancing themselves awkwardly upon a little toy house whose top was hardly bigger than their feet the park, only a step now beneath the housetop, swarmed with tiny figures less than two inches in height. Targo still stood upon the palace roof. They could have reached down and picked him up between thumb and forefinger. The whole city lay within a radius of a few hundred feet around them. When they had stopped increasing in size, they leaped in turn over the palace, landing upon the broad beach of the lake. Then they began walking along it. There was only room for one on the sand and the other two, for they walked abreast, waded ankle-deep in the water. From the little city below them they could hear the hum of a myriad of tiny voices, thin, shrill and faint. Suddenly the big businessman laughed. There was no hysteria in his voice now, just amusement and relief. And we took that seriously, he said. Funny, isn't it? End of chapter 28